This podcast is brought to you by our friends at the Nexus Recruitment Group, official Bristol City Football Club short sponsors. There is a company or brand within the group that can assist all recruitment needs across any industry to suit any budget. Head over to nexus-resources.k.uk or 3people.k.uk for more information. Welcome to Three Peeps in a Podcast, the bonus show. I am here with Matt. Matt, how are you? Okay, thanks, Petch. Yeah, looking at the uh, the rather gloomy Bristol weather, but other than that, all good, mate. Yeah, and your room has taken shape. There's lots of stuff behind you. It looks like lots. a proper Bristol City does, room, mate. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm very impressed with the, uh, I'll show you, mate, John Donaldson canvas of the uh, the stadium. But yeah, I've got um, all manner of stuff and we mismash pictures up on this wall, so... Absolutely, yeah. and it's red as well, which is great. exactly yeah. <laughs> um, so, Matt, we we're going to do this as a bit of a, a season launch, um, and we've got a couple of guests coming on, and uh, we're both very proud Bristolians. Uh, I think I can speak for you on that fact. 100%, and yeah. um, you know, over the last eighteen months, with what we've been through, um, couldn't have been more proud of, of Ashton Gate Stadium and and how how they reacted um, after delivering two hundred thirty five thousand COVID jabs. Today, uh, which is Thursday, they closed the doors as a vaccination centre and Saturday will return back to its original purpose as a world-class sporting stadium. But the man that runs the operation of the stadium is with us now, Mark Kelly. How are you, sir? How are you doing, guys? How's it going? All good? good yeah, Thank good. You. Thanks, Mark. Absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, Mark, today, quite a landmark day for you, I guess. Yeah, Um I mean, I just had a walk from the coffee shop and for the first time I've been able to walk because it's raining outside, been able to walk in the back of the coffee shop through the south stand and back to the office. And it's quite surreal, really, to see it. It's it's already back to normal. You know, the NHS packed up from four o'clock, five o'clock yesterday evening and, and this morning. And, and it is now starting to look like the south stand did prior to COVID and, and prior to the, for the last sort of seven months. Uh, the bars are starting to get packed up. Um, some of the staff who haven't been here for for fifteen months, sixteen months, start to see small faces coming back in. So it, it's it's an important milestone for us um, to move on. You know, to to recognise the great work the NHS have done, and, and to recognise for right on behalf of Ashton Gate, you know, for, for us facilitating it, but also to say actually we, we are a sporting stadium. And we've done our bit. We, we've you know we we potentially vaccinated over half of the population of Bristol through our doors and we're very very proud of it but but let's start to get back to normal and, and let's start get crowds back getting events back and, and getting a bit you know getting a, a bit back to normality as much as we can whilst, whilst remaining safe so um incredible it, it, an incredible time very humbling I, yeah. I remember the first the first early days in january when when the vaccination started and um you know it was the elderly and the vulnerable and, and they're all queuing outside in the rain and the snow and and even then, there was a sense of um, nostalgia nearly around it. This is something special, you know. Mm. There's, there was there was hundreds of people queuing outside, all in their eighties, and, and sort of just doing it in line, one by one by one, mm. and coming through and then coming out through the other door. So it was an incredible experience to be part of, and, and for us to facilitate it uh, and and to, to see it happening. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll be well, honest man. to say, I am. Um partly because of my obsession with Bristol City, but um, although I live in Staple Hill, I made sure that I got my jabs at Ashton Gate. <laughs> um, and it, it was so impressive, so impressive. The the organisation and the way that you were treated, um, yeah, it's just, it made you feel proud to be a, a Bristol City fan. And I've had mates of mine who are Rovers fans um, who were tweeting yesterday saying, you know, I'm a massive Rovers fan, but I've got to say Bristol City hats off is incredible. You know, and that's that's great to read, isn't it? When you see things like that. Yeah, it's, uh, I, look, I, I can't keep on saying it. We're very proud of, of that, yeah. and, and it was our staff. You know, sorry, the NHS did the vaccination, but our our staff were the guys that were outside and, and doing mm. security and, and logistics. And the, the reason I want to make a point to that is because it allowed us to get these staff back to work, and, and that's important. You know, and mm. you, you can I could saw it saw them yesterday. They were generally upset that the, the vaccination centre was closing because they'd been so emotionally involved themselves for the last yeah. sort of six or seven months. Um, but, you know, credit to NHS and the army, the, the, the armed forces, when they set that up in about three days, the three days notice back in, in late November, early December. Um, and to see that what how they were able to, to flip a football stadium into a vaccination centre, sterile area, 
they used the bars as uh, as chemists, you know, and those, so that the nurses were going to the, the concession bars and signing out the, the little, little vaccination tubs. And it was just an incredible uh, logistic operation from the NHS. And, and yeah, great to see our staff involved in it. And you all saw the Rovers fans because they came in their shirts. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see them. You know, made a point of, of coming. Yeah, in their absolutely. Shirts. You can see them having the banter and having the crack, and and then fair play to them. You know, yeah. it'd be the same if it's the other way around. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think a lot of Rovers fans were put under the big um, image of Scotty Murray. I think so. I think yes. there was a bit of a bit of a wink going on, secured to anybody Rovers shirt was put into a certain pod. So um, yeah. there was a bit of crack to be had as well. So. Yeah, Brilliant. certainly brought brought uh, the city together in in that respect. Um, but you mentioned the bars there, there, Mark, and I can't believe it was almost five years ago that I came down to the launch of the sports bar and grill, um, and we spoke on on the podcast then. Um, five years is crazy, but uh, I noticed that the picture that someone put on Twitter earlier today that it's been renamed the Independent Sports Bar and Grill. So is that a sponsorship from Bristol Beer Factory, a collaboration? I'll say it's a partnership rather than sponsorship. You know, Patrick, you, you know our ambition that, you know, and again, five years ago, I probably spoke about this, that we, we generally want to work with local partners and local suppliers as much as we can. And that, that comes from Steve Lanstown then. You know, it's part of of our, of our sort of DNA within Ashton Gate is to local employment, local suppliers, you know, as, as much you know, our butchers are in Clifton, Ruby and White, you know, our, our Thatcher's is, is local and, and as much as possible, where possible, we should go local. And that's that's a sort of a, a KPI of mine, if you like, is to keep as much, as much local as possible. And, you know, we, we've, we've got the Heineken deal, which is Heineken International, and, and that, that is a commercial deal as, as every other stadium, and, and that's important to us from a revenue point of view. Um, and then we've got, you know, partnerships with, with uh, Thatcher. We had a great partnership with Buckham for five years and, and um, that's just now changed we moved we moved the partnership from Buckham to Bristol Beer Factory and you know, they're going through their own evolution um, then on North Street and what they're doing they've got Josh Eggleton there doing the pony trap behind it they're looking to expand their brewery it's a great story that it's it's you know it's, it's less than a kilometre away their brewery so you know the, the, the delivery is, is is within minutes um, and it's it's a nice local uh, company to work with you know they mm-hmm. they yeah, it, it brings a bit of continuity from North Street into, into Ashton Gate. Um, it's a good product, it's good beer. And so, yeah, it's, it's very much, we, we see it, and, and I gave them the free reign in the sports bar because it allows them to promote their beer. So it allows them pr- to promote their products um, it, up to 20,000, 25,000 people week in, week out. So it's, we're, again, something else that we're very proud of is, is that our, our work with local suppliers. Um, and that's, yeah, so Bristol Beer Factory will, will have replaced Buckham. Uh, again, another great another great business but you know we're, we're looking to change things every now and again and just just add a bit of variety so yeah they, they'll as of as of saturday now you'll you know, the, the ale the draft ale will be uh independence um and a few of their products so be interesting to hear the feedback and as ever we're also open to feedback that what the fans think um and, and how that goes down yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bristol Beer Factory. I actually did the tour um, a few years ago, and I'm surprised you haven't uh, investigated getting a pipeline straight in. You know, save, <laughs> save a bit of transport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you never know. I mean, they, they, they're outgrown. They, they're in a lot of bars now. They've got their own bars around flown, uh, in the city centre, and, and you, you can see them starting to pop up everywhere. Um, so they, they, I think they do. They are looking for extra space in, in terms of their... Um, the brewery space, and, you know, and we're, we're we're building some you know some A three sites next door to us in the next couple of years. So you, you never know that how that will evolve going forward. Uh, yeah. But very very yeah, I think it's a good partnership. It's good beer. It's a good story behind it. Um, it's Bristol. You know, it's it's a clue in the name really. So yeah, um, it, it it just it works alongside Thatcher's and 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 you know a national deal with, with Heineken as well. Yeah, great for away fans when they come as well. You mm. know, seeing Bristol Beer Factory. I don't know how how far and wide they they ship their stuff, but uh, yeah, it's great. Obviously, to have the name in there, and as you say, so it is a great beer. Uh, you mentioned we mentioned the sports bar uh, and grill. Um, new season starts Saturday. Two more sleeps, Matt. Two more sleeps. Um, um, what will fans? What can fans expect to see different inside the ground? You know, um, in terms of any sort of COVID signage, new artwork, new food outlets, etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, if we start with the so most important in terms of the COVID restrictions, um, we, we debated we debated this with the club CEOs, uh, both Mark Tainton and, and um, 
uh, Richard Gold in, in for, for City, in the how are we going to react to the COVID restrictions? We, we are an event uh, venue. We have twenty odd thousand people coming, and you know, there there is still a lot of nervousness out there. And, and and I've been I've been contacted by quite a few fans who are saying we just don't feel comfortable to come back yet. I suppose our answer to that is that we are following the the government advice and the scientific advice as of now, uh, and and that is you know caution. We were urging lateral flow testing as you would if you go into any really event or just just, just fans take their own responsibility and. And questions are asked of us sometimes. Why don't we force lateral flow testing? Well, it's not law. Like we 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 can't really. And and all that's going to do is uh, maybe cause backups in terms of access, and then that causes the secondary issue of queues and stuff outside. So we are urging lateral flow testing. If you don't feel well, obviously not not to come along. Mm. We obviously got sanitizer um, throughout, and a lot more sanitizer than we had before. Um, and we are just asking for enclosed areas, especially around the hospitality areas. Whilst you're walking to your table, you know we ask you to wear a mask, and there's masks available. Our, our staff are, are choosing to to still wear masks, um, and again, that that that's an option we're giving our staff. A lot of our staff for Aston Villa decided they want to keep um, keep wearing masks, but we have a very young staff base. You know, a lot of our staff have not been double vaccinated or even vaccinated yet. So I think you know I'd, I'd encourage that for our staff. Um, we don't want to, you know we want to try and keep everybody safe and secure. So so really, it's just following following the regulations as of now and. Uh, very curious to see how COVID passports and everything else evolve over the next couple of months. Mm. And we'll stand by and wait. In terms of everything else, it, it, it should be very familiar to people. There should be no big changes. We've, we've got a few, we've got a new pie company um, coming in. So we, again, we, we went with um, Buxton Pies, um, which is again, very, very local. Hopefully uh, Buxton and Bird, Freddie Bird, who runs a restaurant up there and near um, Side Clifton. And, and so again, another local partnership. Great to see some, hear some feedback on that. Um, Jamaican guys still there in the south stand corner um, yeah so very very familiar to as it was before I was, I was really keen to make sure we start off Saturday with the fan zone get a live band in get people out get people hopefully the weather will be, will be as dry as possible but just to get football fans love routine right you know yeah. you love going to the same bar you love you know, sitting and sitting and, and sitting with the same chaps and, and having that that routine so I didn't I didn't want to change it too much it, it's important that we will come back Saturday, they have a level of comfort. And if, yeah. if we were to really fundamentally change it, then people might feel a little bit nervous. So it should be very much the same experience as it was before. Maybe yeah. if, you know, in, in the sports bar, I think there's, there's less numbers allowed in because we can't really call as many in. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be safe, as safe as, as we possibly can following the regulations. But should be no major changes. Um, hopefully a few surprises in the food and beverage. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I, I ventured back into the office for the first time a few weeks ago, and it's finding that right balance between too much signage and you know the the uh, the wipes and the and the sanitizer everywhere that makes you feel a little bit anxious. For me, um, you know, I I walked out through um, through the, the, in the public area outside, and you know, you, you forget almost forget about the pandemic, and then you come in and it's just like signs, signs, signs. Do you really yeah. need to be here? That sort of thing. Yeah. So you have to be careful not to make people anxious. It's a real balance, isn't it? It, it really is. And the scientific advice, the government advice, is that stadia can open and we can have fans back, and there's no restrictions on fans. So for us to to go against that wouldn't be consistent with with the, the advice that's there. And we've all everybody's lived through this for 15 16 months and my my guide is just take your own response take your own responsibility and yeah. we will we will to, to every aspect try and keep you safe as possible and, and keep the stadia clean and make sure we keep the stadia sterile and we, we've invested heavily in cleaning routines and schedules and everything else to make sure that door handles and all that kind of stuff is um is kept sterile but look i think for now, what the government is saying, there are no restrictions and just, just go back to normality, then we will facilitate that, but as safe as possible. It, it's important for us. We, nobody wants any more lockdowns. We don't want any more restrictions. Yeah. So like we do with alcohol, we, we will be responsible. We, we, mm. will, we will put on a responsibility, responsible event. And again, it'd be interesting to hear some feedback after Saturday, but it's nearly a split camp. Some people are saying, oh, we, we won't come back until everyone's been vaccinated others are saying i'll come back and wear a mask and others are saying well you know, i'll just i'll just go and see how we get on so it'd be a good test on on saturday um the first game of seasons especially with, with you know it's, it's not a top of the table clash it is always less of a crowd a lot of people on holidays so we'll, we'll probably do 17 18 000 on saturday so it'd be a good test to see um how we get on with that kind of number as a, as a kickoff 
but we again we, we gained a lot of feedback from the Aston Villa game last week. We changed a few things. Um, but mostly as a just to answer your question, it should be as normal match day experience as possible. Yeah. Um and you've mentioned feedback a few times. Is there a preferred method of feedback for you? Um Jerry, who was our SLO, gets a lot of feedback and and you know the SLO address is out there on Twitter. J- Jerry's heart, you know, he's got Bristol City through his veins. Um, he was actually here an hour ago just talking about something else. He's actually doing a, a show around of local kids today. And, you know, he, he will come to me once or twice a week with some of the feedback and we'll go through it and we'll, we'll, we'll try and sort of rationalise it and, and make changes where possible. Um, we also have a debrief system. You know, we, we've got a big team. We had a pre-match meeting today. There's 25 people at it, including myself and Richard. And that's, that, that's the routine we go through. So that, if that level of management focus on each event, each game. Um, and then we'll do a debrief early next week sort of a hot debrief on the day with with the with the key managers so your your bar staff your bar managers your restaurant manager security manager uh, ticketing head of venue we'll all sit down at the end of the at the end of the game have a coffee or a beer and just go through everything to clear it up um and then yeah the formal debrief monday tuesday and then and then we'll kick again so any, any feedback bet the best way is is um is to send it to jerry um and you know of course, we look at the forums. We'd be crazy if we didn't. But again, you have to rationalise it sometimes. So actually, look at if you've got one or two people saying something, then you know. But if it's a, we track exactly how many people say uh, the volume of of, of complaints for like or, or, or levels of feedback. Yeah, constructive um, as well. Sometimes constructive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just in terms of the stadium, Mike, we were fortunate enough to go down a couple of weeks back for um, Ben Mead has put a YouTube mm-hmm. putting a YouTube. Um, video together on the Man United game and we couldn't help but notice um, the safe standing um, on the far right hand side and I just wonder you know how that came about is is that how it's going to be the kind of railing in front as opposed to I think what was planned originally um, but yeah I mean we, we were suitably impressed from, uh, yeah, from our initial yeah. look yeah um, bizarrely and we had a debate around this this morning I'm not allowed to call it safe standing I've got to call it safe sitting which doesn't right. make sense, but I'll call it safe standing. But I, I know that the, the safe um, safety guys uh, from a, from a stadium, national stadium safety, don't like us calling it safe standing because we're not allowed uh, to encourage standing. So it's it's because it's not legal yet. Right. Um, however, by putting what we're calling a rail in, then we are encouraging, or I suppose facilitating um, safe standing. Right. So yeah. it, it's just it's it's just because it's not legal yet. Um, so it's we, we again we looked at different options for us as a multi-use venue. Um, this was our best option because we have football, we've got rugby, we have concerts. So, and it, we we felt that that corner could be used as a safe standing with um, with the rail for, for all three types of events. Mm. And it, it was it was most suitable for us. Wolves have it, so we went to visit Wolves. Um, again, they they do some other some non-football events up there. They do quite a few concerts. And it, you know, they had it in for a number of years and it really worked for them. So for us going through the sort of tender process, that was our preferred um, product. Um, be really, again, interested to get on in, in the Section 82 on Saturday and what they think of it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a massive step forward in, mm. in the facilitation of safe standing. Um, we're big advocates of it. We, we always have been. We wanted to get it into the original design of the stadium. But we couldn't do so. Um, so it, it's a nice pilot space for us to see how we get on with it um, and see, again, just, just track the, the user's experience and, and what that section of the stadium think about it and feel about it. Yeah, no, it was impressive. I, th- I think I saw that Chelsea are um, doing that in the, the Matthew Harding stand as well as we speak. That's right. So, yeah, That's I mean, right, it's, yeah. It's progression, isn't it? It's, you know, we've got to move forward. So It is. I, I think we're still the only one champions, championship club that we were when we, when we put it in. Um, I could be wrong, could be corrected on that, but I think there's not not championship other championship clubs that come to visit us to see right. how we're getting on. Um, but yeah, look, we've always liked to be innovators and, and to leaders in this sense. And um, anywhere we can, we'll lobby for change. I'm a big advocate and a lobbyist for the change of the alcohol rules for football yeah. because I think they're bonkers and actually it encourages um, it encourages binge drinking and encourage yeah. it, it just encourage we're treating adults like children. So you know, it's another one that we're lobbying hard on. Uh, is that background. different, Mark? Is that different, Mark? Sorry, between football and yeah. rugby, then. Yeah, so are yeah, they different? Which, right. Okay. Yeah, which is it? Just it doesn't make sense to us. So you know, rugby fans can come here, get a drink, walk to a seat, sit in the seat, drink a pint, watch a game. Right. Football fans can't, 
And there's many reasons for that. You know, we all, we all know what happened in the 80s and, mm. and, and um, for the reason to, and that, that, that was right at that time. That was right because the design of the stadiums in them days were, terrace, were terraces. And yeah. a lot of the got, the, 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 there was a lot more violence and, and stadiums weren't as well managed or designed as they are now. But things have changed and the law, the law hasn't. And what you get then is, is binge drinking in parks and, and all that kind of stuff which happens before a game sometimes because you, you, you can't you, you know you might neck two or three points before you go into your seat where actually if if you had the ability to to bring a beer to your seat you may not you may not drink as quick and I know, I know that it's it's also part of people's match day experience to go out and have get some drinks and that, and that that's fine as well but from a safety point of view our feeling here my personal feeling is that that law needs to change yeah, uh, for, for football fans and it goes the whole policing and stadium and the way we treat fa- football fans collectively um, needs to change, and, and so yeah, we, we're lobbying hard against that. And I mean, we're lobbying. We're, we're talking about anytime we can, really, to to, to those in charge. Uh, and I'd love to be one day viewed as a, as a trial stadium for um, allowing alcohol to football fans. Um, big believer in treat people like adults. They behave like adults, and yeah, if you don't, if you start putting in restrictions, then you, you get you get negativity. So yeah, um, yeah I mean, that's yeah, that's something that we're, we feel strong about. As the same as safe standing. Yeah. The other thing I, I wanted to ask you is, um, I'm, I'm guessing you're a big Elton John fan, which is why we've, we've got Elton John next year. But just in terms of the concerts, I've, I've been fortunate enough to to come down and see a couple of them. Um, was there for Take That and, and again, the organisation. From the the whole element, the, the walking in, the security, getting in, transport, etc. was brilliant. But how does that come about, Mark, in terms of identifying an artist, those negotiations sort of how long yeah. does it take and then yeah 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 it, it takes it, in reality it probably takes about 12 or 18 months to, to to start negotiating those kind of contracts um and i think just going back to what you said about sort of the experience it's so important that and i really really mean this and i know a lot of people would expect this from a commercial for a suit to say this but it's so important ashton gate's a good neighbor in bristol mm. and and it's it really is and i feel very strong about it and when, when we got the first round of concerts a few years ago the first meeting we had is right. How do we put on the best show Bristol's ever had, without pissing off the neighbours, without bringing Bristol to a standstill, without closing the bridge because everybody's trying to get here at five o'clock or whatever it is in cars. So that that's something I feel really, really, really strongly about. That we have to be a good neighbour. And like you said, I want people to be advocates and say, you know, what, it was a great event. It was a great. It was a great night. It was a great show. And we 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 deal with a number of promoters, and we'll have these we'll have very fluid conversations continuously with promoters about who's touring. Um, and you know we'll we'll give a window of dates um, depending on football or rugby fixtures, and we'll say you know there's usually rugby was late this year. It's going to be hopefully earlier, slightly earlier finish next year, uh, next season. So we've given the two week window to a number of promoters. We go out to the pitch and say right, here's our window. What, what have you got? And we will be quite selective. Um, we, we've off, we, we've turned down some gigs in the past because it just doesn't suit us. What what I try and do is have something for everybody. So if you look at next year. So far, I confirm we have the Killers and Elton John. You, you couldn't mm. get, you know, couldn't get so yeah. far apart. So it's two different demographics. So from a Bristol, from a Bristol point of view, you could be a Killers fan or an Elton John. It could be both. But again, the first, it, it's something for everybody. And and the other three concerts, we're looking at doing five next year. Again, they're not the same. They're different types of artists, different types of demographic. Right. It's like we did with Rod Stewart. Take that, Muse um, and the Spice Girls. They're all reasonably different. Probably Spice Girls take that same similar demographic but it brought it brought a huge amount of investment into bristol you know we we calculated the concerts at the time took about three and a half million pounds inward investment to bristol city center with hotels taxis um you know spend in the bars and everything else yeah. so again something we're very proud of to do and, and it, it brings a lot of focus and a lot of national uh, focus onto onto the stadium and onto south bristol more importantly yeah, you don't appreciate that actually do you the, the whole impact to bristol you sort of so, you know I'm, I'm thinking of it from a bristol city point of view but yeah absolutely mm. it, it brings that mm. we, um, call it, it, we call it the multiplier effect matt in the in the industry, in the industry right yeah thank you yeah yeah i mean steve will ask me it's you know steve measures on it you know he, he it's yeah. not and this is we probably don't shout about it enough the whole bristol sport and ashing bank model you know it's it's not necessarily about the goals that are scored in the position in the league table for my job it's it's mm. not it's what are you bringing to the city? What, what's the legacy? What's the impact? What's the employment? Yeah. What what's your supplier spend? You know, where, where so that that's these are my benchmarks. Now that's what I get I get judged on. So 
I will measure it because I think it's important and it's it's very important, Steve, to, to see the impact he's having, um, especially in South Bristol, you know, yeah. especially around this area here uh, on employment and on, on suppliers. So, yeah, we, it's, it's something we, we're proud of as well. Oh, fantastic. It'd be remiss of me not to say if um, if Michael Bublé's in the offing, my missus would love that. So. <laughs> <laughs> We had him last year. I think he, he went to the bath. He, um, yes, I think yeah, wrecked. it's been rearranged yeah. to bath. That's right. Yeah, he's that's doing right, the yeah. um, Royal Crescent. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think you know. I think he said we were too big. I think they weren't certain. I probably shouldn't say this, but I don't think they were. They were confident they could get thirty thousand. Yeah, um, so, which is interesting. Be interesting what bath do. Matt yeah. and his friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We actually had a question uh, from Twitter, from Fev's Analytics for you, um, when they saw that you were coming on. Um, can you give some insight into your roles and responsibilities, and in particular, where the lines blur between Bristol City, Bristol Bears, Ashton Gate Limited, and the rest of Bristol Sport? Yeah, yeah. And look, it's a great question. And, and it's it's often difficult to articulate, but it's actually quite easy to understand. And when Steve set up that the model, the new model, if you like, of, of where we are as individual um, companies, because they're all living through companies, um, under one holding company. The, the, the idea was to um, get expertise and focus on each individual area. And if you look at the, the current model, the, the idea is that um, Richard Golden, who's CEO of, of Bristol City, and Mark Tainton, who's CEO of, of, of Bristol Bears, um, their main focus is should be all around performance and development, the academies, the, the conveyor belt of, of talent. And, and again, going back to Steve's ambition of, of local talent and, and, and but bringing that to performance, getting promoted uh, and winning games. So everything that goes alongside that, that, that's what they should be fully accountable for. So they don't, have, they don't have to worry about pitch maintenance. They don't have to worry about selling tickets. They don't have to worry about um, everything else that happens on this side, security, pies, pints. So it, the Bristol Sport, limited if you like which is you know i'm in the business for office now we're looking at you've got the commercial sales which is the, the front of shirt uh, type of deals and the sponsorship and the partnerships so that comes under a commercial team you've got hospitality sales which comes up again comes on the commercial you've got the non-match day uh, venue sales which is um like the conferences and the meetings and, and everything else you've got ticketing um you've got partnerships so it's, it's all it's all the commercial stuff we're essentially a team behind a team but we can aggregate that. So we can, you know, Lisa sitting opposite there can pick up the phone and, and sell 10 tickets for, for Bristol City versus Blackpool, but she can also sell 10 tickets for Bath versus, uh, sorry, Bristol versus Bath you know, in a few weeks. So we can we can drive economies of scale by, by using this model. Um, and we can scale up and, and scale down. And in theory, we could go over, we could take over another club because we have all the facilities to be able to do that in mm. terms of, the ticketing system, the sales system, the team, and everything else. And not saying that's the ambition, but but that's the design of Bristol Sport uh, Limited. And, and in terms of governance, John Lanstown is is chairman. Um, I'm managing director of, of, of Bristol Sport. And Gavin Marshall is director. Lisa Knight is director. And then we, we've got uh, a new commercial guy, uh, Ben Latty, who's coming from Liverpool. Mm. He's going to lead the whole commercial, the next step of the commercial uh, development. And you've got Ashing Gate Limited. Uh, again, I suppose its own company, and, and and that is that is all the venue operations. So that is the bars, the cafes, the restaurants, the the casual staff. You know, the six hundred casual staff, the stewarding, the HR aspects, um, all the hard surfaces. So we, we we do the facilities management across all the training grounds. Um, we we we're like a shared service, if you like. So the facility side of 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 the business, um, and again, it just allows the club just to completely to the the footballers to, to turn up and, and you know the, and train and, and to concentrate on their area rather, rather than getting involved in in sort of the, the other aspects of, of a big big operation fantastic um yeah. it is it is very absolutely fascinating um Matt, uh, mark and what an operation um going on down there and, and the staff that i've you know dealt with a number in hospitality um and for for conferences and things like that and it's always a, a, a very professional service so um you know kudos kudos to you and kudos to them um we're gonna we're gonna leave it there uh mark thank you so much for coming on and again thank you very much for getting involved in the charity football match that we had back in may very impressed with your skills very sure good yeah 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 spend more time on the ground i think <laughs> <laughs> well matt was matt matt was manager of our team and he kept kept you sure. on so uh yeah, yeah he did. must have, yeah. Must have done a good job 
yeah. He did, he did, yeah. No, no, I enjoyed it. It was good crack. It was good. It was good. It was a good day, wasn't it? And it, it was good brilliant. Good money, so yeah. Yeah, and and Mark, all the very best for for Saturday. Uh, you know, we'll be focusing on things going on on the pitch, where you'll have uh, probably an eye on behind the scenes operations and yeah. on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And look, we don't we don't always get everything right. We we try our best. So we, we talk about feedback. You know, if, if not just something, just just let us know, and you know, we'll look at it, and um, we'll all, we'll always try and continuously improve and make things better. You know, we we all we're all supporting the same team here, so we're all trying to do the right thing at the right time. Absolutely, brilliant. brilliant. Thank, Thank you, Mark. You, yeah, thanks so much for joining us, Mark. We'll speak guys. soon. Take care. All Best of luck. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so a terrific insight there to behind-the-scenes operation from Mark Kelly. Um, and we've got our second guest with us now. And last season was a celebration of homegrown talent coming through the ranks with breakthrough seasons for players like Tommy Conway, Riley Tyler, Louis Britton, Sam Bell, etc. The list goes on. However, we should also celebrate some homegrown coaches. Someone who came through the academy as a player was unfortunately released, but went on to ultimately become a coach was Alex Ball, who turned 40 yesterday. And he's with us today. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Batch. Yeah, all very well. I bet, that's well. a, I bet you didn't realise I was going to throw the 40th birthday at you. <laughs> you, don't, you don't look it, Alex. You don't look it. Uh, cheers, thank you. Uh, I didn't realise you've, uh, you've obviously done your research, um, but no, or, or Joe must have slipped you one. Would you ex- <laughs> Would you expect anything less? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was looking, I just looked on your um, your Wikipedia and noticed the date and thought, hello, that was yeah. yesterday. Yeah, so yeah, what did you go up to for your 40th first? Um, just a day with the family, really. We went to the beach, went to uh, Sand Bay in between Weston and Clevedon, beach cricket, beach football, picnic, that kind of thing. Um, awesome. And then we had family and friends around in the evening, out for a meal tonight. So, yeah, managed to get some Brilliant. celebrations. Actually coincided with a, you know, a, a rest day with, with the training schedule. So I was actually off yesterday, so it worked quite well. You managed to influence that decision, did you? <laughs> I'm not quite that level. No, no um, but just before we touch on the coaching, um, obviously you came through the ranks with players like Joe Burnell from uh, an early age, probably like nine or ten, I'd imagine, was it? Yeah, I joined the club at uh, ten years old. So, um, and Joe Burnell was there then. Matthew Hill was part of that age group and stayed all the way through till I was a young professional myself. So. I was 19. I was a second year young professional. Danny Wilson was the manager. Um, Frank Barlow. Uh, it was the 2000, 2001 season, I think, from memory. And yeah, got um, released that kind of October. Danny was very honest up front early on in that season. He said, I want part of his plans. And then, yeah, kind of went into semi-professional football from there. So, um, but definitely, yeah, spent a long time coming through the system. Was at the club for nine years. Is a kid, so um, yeah. You that. did. You did. According to Wikipedia, made one appearance, which is an away at Bristol Rovers. Can you remember yeah. much about that? I'm not sure if this. It was. I don't think it was a league game. I think it was. It was a game, but it was more like a, a cup game, some cup game. Okay. Or where we sent maybe a, a slightly weaker team. That was probably why I was playing. <laughs> um, oh, don't do yourself, Dan. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I think from memory we lost. So um, yeah, it was a defeat. I didn't want to bring that up either. But um, what yeah. position did you play, Alex? I was a defender, so right back. Right, left okay. back. I, I was actually right footed, but I played a lot as a left back, especially for the reserves back uh, back then. I played a year as left back, who um, was never going to be tall enough for centre back. Although I did play there, so um, predominantly was a full back. Right. Okay. Brilliant. Uh, before we start, start talking about your, your recent secondment, I'm going to call it, in, in business terms, into the first team, I just want to say, uh, please do pass on our well wishes to Paul Simpson on his recovery. Um, but the opportunity arose for you to step into uh, that role from the under-23s and work with the squad in pre-season. So, you know, in a nutshell, how have you found that experience? Yeah, definitely. We um, First, I mean, for Simo and Paul Simpson, we pass on obviously our, our regards to him and he's he's recovering at the moment and and doing well uh, with that recovery. So hopefully we'll be he'll be back in as soon as he you know, as soon as he can be. Um personally for me, it was a good opportunity and a good uh, opportunity to challenge myself really on a short, short-term basis to go into the first team environment and and see how on a close scale things work day to day. 
and be part of it. So it was something that I was asked to do and it, there was no pressure on me. They said, it's up to you. Is that something you'd like to do? And straight away, I was like, yeah, that's something that I'd like to do um, as long as you're happy with that. And so, so I took the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And we, when we came out to the High Performance Centre um, a few weeks ago, we saw you refereeing the game. The banter was flowing nicely. Yeah, uh, getting some stick. <laughs> <laughs> you must, uh, you must enjoy, you know, from from your playing days, getting back involved, and obviously, you know, with the young lads and with the with the first team. That that must be something that you really enjoy. Yeah, definitely, really enjoy that side of it, and the real. Um, intensity that that brings with it because when you work with the younger ones you know I've worked across all the different age groups and when you work with the 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds around that development very focused on on that side of it but with the 23s and now obviously with the first team that that um, desire to win and that that will to win and everything being geared up to making sure that in a, in a first team environment and a first team level that everyone's doing as much as they can to make sure we we, we get the three points and we, we win the game. So for me, it's being good to be around that environment because since I've stopped playing, I've not got like that passion for three points. You know, you turn up on a Saturday and you, you, you're going for that, that win and that three points and the emotions that that brings. So as much as it's a roller coaster, it is good to be, be part of that environment. Um, the transition, obviously, from a player to a coach, um, particularly around pre-season, and watching the players go through preseason and you not going through preseason, that must be nice too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think watching it instead of taking part is is definitely a bit easier. Although I joined in with one of the runs, it was unbelievably hard. They, they have worked really hard this preseason and, and seeing it with my own eyes, being in that first team schedule, the, the trip to Loughborough was uh, was good for the, I guess, the team and the spirit of the camp, but also to work. And they they worked extremely hard and it was really hot over that, that period. Mm. And the work they were putting in, the players, was was um, phenomenal, really. So uh, it has been a tough pre-season for them. Um, but I think they'll, you know, hopefully feel the benefits of that as, as, as we go into the season. Yeah, absolutely. It must be a fine line. Um, and that's why, why we've got the professionals in place to decide what is too much um, in terms of what, what goes in. So, uh, yeah, great, great to have um, that successful pre-season under our belts with, with relatively unscathed as well, as far as I can tell. Um, so going through your coaching career, did you have any role models or mentors that you would call upon uh, to, in to, to develop yourself? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, in terms of mentors or role models, kind of the your early coaches, I think, for, for me, um, I, I would always fall back on them when I was getting into coaching myself. So there was a, a coach called Frank Jacobs, uh, who was at the club for a long time and was probably quite an unsung hero, really. He spent a lot of time developing uh, players that, that went through and played a lot in our, our first team. So he, when I started coaching, he would be someone I, I would speak to regularly um, and he would give me little tips and, and words of advice so that was good Frank um, there was a guy when I was at Team Bath called Ivor Powell he was very very good he, he was quite old he was in his 80s and he was still mm. coming out on the pitch like every day and his uh, I can remember and now it was always around dedication commitment work rate he said these three things and he, in his Welsh accent he would say <laughs> them and, they would, and he's true, they never changed those things. Um, so they were good. And then going through my courses, there was a FA, you know, coach educators, a guy called Steve Rutter, who was very good, uh, Dick Bate. These guys helped me, um, I, I guess, along the way. And then managers you played under. I was lucky enough at Team Bath, you know, Paul Tisdale was very early on in his coaching career. And he was starting out and he, he took me, uh, when I was playing there, he was good. Uh, you take bits up of everyone. Andy Tilson, who come and joined that program, who went on to coach, was a player at the start. He was extremely good, Andy Tilson. I learned a lot off of him. That, uh, how to be as a person and how to act definitely was very um, something I learned off of him. So, yeah, I think you take bits from all, all kinds of the experiences you have. And there were some definitely there that I've named it, you know, would have helped me along the way. Just in terms of, yeah, obviously stepping into that that role that you did in <clears throat> Curtis Fleming's obviously been been brought in now in, I'm assuming you're back with the, the under 23s. 
are you still going to be working with the, the first team as well, Alex? Or what's what's the plan going forward with, with Nigel Pearson and his staff? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've been asked to, to be around it still and have kind of more, I guess, interaction and feel more freer to do that. I think something Nigel's been very good at in terms of that is making sure that we're all together in, in mm. one club and making sure that there's not that divide. So that's been really positive. Um, for me to then still be around it and be out on the, the pitch and feel comfortable as well to be in that environment because sometimes you, you might go, oh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed in there. Or, but he's made sure that he, he said, make sure you're around it and you're part of it. So um, I've actually still um, been around some of the training and uh, helping, helping out where needed, which has been good. And then uh, also taking some responsibility for some of those obviously younger players that are on the transition between under 23s and first team. So yeah, so it's um it's been more more flexible, I'd say, for me to be around both of them now after yeah. that initial period with the first team, which I did for kind of four weeks, yeah, four or five weeks. I guess the high performance center helps with that as well, with everybody being there in, you know, as I think it's been cited before, but you can bring a player across from the the younger age group just to join in with some of the drills and stuff when you need more numbers or yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It has the, yeah, having this facility to, to work in every day and to be around the first team is, is great for us. Um, I've always been lucky in a way that with, since I've uh, joined the club with the under 23s, that we've always been based at the Feyland kind of training ground with mm. the first team. So now we're at the high performance center. That, that isn't too much different. Last year with COVID, we actually went away from it uh, right. because the first team just stayed in their own bubble. And so the 23s would train at Filton a lot at SGS with the under 18s. Mm. So last year we um, weren't around it as much. And it was definitely then you, you do miss it. So for me, I wasn't around. So when Lee was here, when Lee Johnson was here, I would be around it every day, listening, seeing, you know, because I'd be sharing the office with the coaches there. Um, and we'd be training on the pitch next to each other. So then with COVID, we actually went away from it. But the good thing now is we've got all of our staff, the academy staff and the under 18s here as well. So it's a lot yeah. more, more seamless and can only help the, the opportunity for those boys, like you said, because however the opportunity comes, any opportunity for them to get in front of the first team manager to be on the pitch with the first team players is, is a good one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously, you know, we spoke about role models and mentors, but going back um, to that question slightly, your first experience working with the first team comes under Nigel Pearson, who uh, is someone who's got, you know, experience in the championship premier league um, and someone who was as a player at the top of his game. How, how has that been? And, you know, give us some, some insight into that. Yeah, really good. Uh, he's, he's, he's made first and foremost, he's, he makes everyone feel welcome in his, his company and making sure that everyone is, uh, feels valued and feels part of, of something. So that then is easy for someone like myself who's coming into the first team that has been part of the club for a while, but always on the periphery of a first team environment. So to come in, it's been very good in terms of that, the way the little things around how he is with people, how he is with the players, the man management side of things, seeing that firsthand is really, you know, good for me to see. And then how he wants... Uh, the team to play, to set up, and then for me to be able to take bits because then that's going to really benefit our younger players yeah. in in making sure the messages are aligned in, in, in everything we want to do and give them, ultimately give them the best opportunity when they do go into the first-team environment, that they're prepared for, for what's to come. So, yeah, it's been it's definitely been good, a good experience for me. Yeah, obviously, we started this segment speaking to you about the breakthrough seasons that a number of the youngsters had. I'm not going to get you to comment on uh, all the players, but I just want to touch on Alex Scott and the impact that he had when he came on uh, on against Aston Villa. You know, turned a lot of people's heads. I think Matt is some Matt. You've always been someone who's been aware of Alex Scott for quite some time, um, uh, but in terms of this season, it's going to have a real impact, uh, I believe. Uh, and is he set up for that mentally, physically, etc.? I think so. I've known Alex for a long time um, because actually when he was young, he was at Southampton. I spent a two-year period in between Bristol City work at Southampton with the young uh, players in the academy there. And he was at Southampton at the time. 
Um, and he was actually kind of let go. He, he was living in Guernsey and it was becoming a, an issue with traveling maybe between Guernsey and, and Southampton. So um, he, he actually fell away from there. So I saw Alex again when he was obviously playing for Guernsey and he came come in on trial. He was 16 and playing for the Guernsey men's team and come in on trial. He's someone then who's just kept going, kept developing throughout his time with us. Um, he's got a very good resilience, uh, good mentality, very strong-minded. He's experienced men's football already in terms of playing for Guernsey, albeit at a lower level. He, he's shown he physically can you know, compete. He's quite intelligent with it. So, yeah, um, he's someone that's, that's shown a real um, good development and, and good ability to hopefully to keep progressing and keep going on and, and have an impact for us. Yeah. I was surprised, Alex, at just how strong he was on the ball, especially against against Villa. But also he, he won probably 60-70% of the aerial challenges that he went up for as well. Um, and within minutes, as, as Pat said, he, he was jinking into the area, which is, I think, probably you kind of expect because of the sort of player you understand him to be. But he just made things happen. And, and my brother sort of spoke to me on the night, and I'm a big Casey Palmer fan as well, but Christian sort of said to me, well, what did you think of Alex Scott? I said, for me, he played himself into starting because he he just made things happen and there was no fear in him, you know, and you're talking about a lad who's 17 or, you know, 18, whatever he is. It's, I thought it was incredible, but it really surprised me, his physicality. He seemed to have grown from the summer. You know, it was just, yeah, really impressive. Yeah, no, that's something, I mean, that, that every player, you know, in terms of their development, it's, it's not just on the pitch as well, it's the physical side, the, the strength and conditioning side of things in the, the gym, and they work with, they do with the strength and conditioning team and the sports science team with with Dow Bonsu and, and Patrick Orr. I mean, um, I think they've really, yeah, he, he has to buy into that as well, which he does, mm. then you see the impact of that as well, and naturally he's he's growing and developing, so he'll he'll mature with age as well. Um but yeah, he he's shown he can cope, like you say there, and yeah. aerially his ability as well. He's not just known he can't, you know, as well as on the floor he can get up and compete in the air as well. Yeah, you mentioned that nice. uh, you mentioned Patrick Orm and Dave Rennie there. Um, you know, as the backroom staff, how how are they integrating uh, with the with the backroom staff that were in place already? Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all all going well. Obviously, um, Paddy is uh, he's been part of the club for a while. He was with me with the twenty threes. Uh, a few years ago with, with Jane McAllister and then Luke Williams um, and, and Paddy stepped up to the first team. And so it was good to work with, with Paddy again and, and Dave's come in and, and settled in really well to the uh, environment of, of the club and is having a, a good relationship with all the, the staff as well. So that's been positive for, from their point of view as well, I'd say. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Alex, uh, obviously, as I said, last season, lots of youngsters coming through. I, I see the under-23s as much as an extension of the first team um, this season as well. So, you know, we'll be watching the the under-23s almost as much as we watch in the first team. So just wherever you are, whether it's in the under-23s or in the first team, uh, we wish you every success um, uh, for this season. So uh, thanks very much for coming on the podcast and uh, happy 40th birthday. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, good yeah. stuff. Thanks, Thanks, Alex. Cheers, Thanks, guys. Matt. Yeah. Take care. Yeah, Take care. Talk. We'll speak soon. Take care. Bye-bye. So, Matt, uh, just in summary then, mm. we are two sleeps away from the start of the season. We've spoken with Mark Kelly and Alex Ball there, two both behind the scenes, but, uh, you know, the second one with a bit more insight into the, into the team and the game. Uh, your takeaways? First, first and foremost, um, you can sense the passion from both of them. Um, Mark, in terms of what what he does, um, yeah, and and it it really made me think that that whole Bristol piece and and the impact that our club has on the rest of our city. Um, so so that was really impressive. And I think with Alex, it's, it's great to see. And and I didn't actually realise that that Alex had been a, a youth player um, and had gone through what he'd gone through. Um, I know he's. He's highly respected down there as a coach. Um, and we were fortunate enough, Patch, when we were at the DHPC to see it firsthand. And you could sense the way the players were with him. And, and he's obviously transitioned into that role for that period of time really, really well. Um, and it was quite funny, wasn't it, watching him ref and, and <laughs> the stick that he was getting. But yeah, it's um I think it's a it's a smart move as well because of 
COVID. succession planning, isn't it? Well, well, succession planning, but because of COVID and the finance situation, and you know, Nigel Pearson's not been um, shy in sort of saying that you know finances are what they are. We're not going to be going out and spending loads of money, and so the youngsters that that we were over reliant on last year are still very much going to have a part to play this year. Um, and you'd expect the likes of Alex, Tommy Conway, Sam Bell, Sam Pearson, obviously Tyreek in hand now, I think you almost associate his first team yeah. anyway. But you expect them to be around it. And actually bringing in the man who's looked after them for you know quite a period of time is again a smart move, isn't it? It keeps the transition for the players that that much closer as well. So yeah, it's... Um, I mean, let's be fair, Patch. We can't wait, can we? Um, you're <laughs> saying you're saying two sleeps. I'm not sure how much I'm going to sleep on Friday night. Absolutely. Yes, um, because I I cannot wait. And you know, we got a little bit of a taste of it last week with the Villa friendly. Um, but you know, the, the the crew that that I sit with weren't there, and obviously we weren't in our normal seats. Mm. So I yeah, I'm, I I just cannot wait. And then a couple of little cheeky away trips to Forest Green Rovers with you, my friend, in uh, Middlesbrough. Absolutely. So. Uh, it's Absolutely. all good, yeah. It's all We've good. got a lot to make up for for last season in terms of attending the game. So, uh, yeah. yeah, no holds barred, I'd say. Um, Absolutely. Let's just give our thoughts um, in terms of uh, the season then, the season ahead. Um, it's a different team from last season. We've got players that have been added. We've got players that have come back from injury. We've got players like Joe Williams, who we never really saw last season coming in mm. uh, for availability. I think we just heard uh, that uh, it's only Semenyo and Robbie Cundy who are Robbie actually Cundy. unavailable. Yep. So um, remains to be seen what the squad will look like um on saturday but i suggest it might look a bit different for the forest green game on tuesday so yeah you'd expect so because again you're gonna have to manage the, the games through aren't you um and i think we said it even with last season wasn't there there was a bit of a you know a, a championship team and a bit of a cup team um i don't know that we've got the squad depth now to perhaps mix and match it as much as we did last year but you would certainly expect some of the youngsters to potentially start in the forest well, talk, game. talking of youngsters it's looking mm. more and more likely that uh, Tommy Conway will be part of the first team squad and when we had him on the podcast you said that if he was in the first team squad you would have Conway 37 on the back of your shirt so uh, what's the situation I will be going down to Ashton Gate tomorrow to get my <laughs> shirt emblazoned with Conway 37 on there Brilliant. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I and I can't wait. And uh, a shout out to Tommy on that front. That um I sit in the South Stand, block 21, row 18. Um, <laughs> but that first goal at the South Stand end, I want you looking out for me, mate, because I'll be stood up there <laughs> waving my arms like a lunatic. But I do you know what? I'm I'm absolutely um honored, privileged to to want to do that in the first place. But you know, Patch, you know, he was such an impressive young man, wasn't he, speaking to him? And and you can see he lives for his football and he lives for Bristol City. So I am delighted that, you know, I'm touch wood, he doesn't get <laughs> loaned out or uh, or transferred off um, between now and uh, the transfer window closing. But yeah, I hope he's around the first team. And yeah, I'll be going down there tomorrow and uh, putting it on uh, on Twitter for him to see. I'm a man of my word. Absolutely. And we'll have to arrange a, a handover session, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, we'll have to get that sorted. Um, so my aspirations for the season, obviously yeah, we, there's been lots of championship podcasts yep. that have done predictions and other Bristol City podcasts that have given their thoughts. Um, I'll go first. For, for, for me, um, success this season is, is a mid-table top half finish. Um, it's, it's a change. It's, it, we've gone through a mega transition. The last 12 games of the season were nothing like the Bristol city we've, we come to expect. Um, so there has been a rebuild and I just hope that the, the, the fan base realize that, realize that fact, mm. um, and that we are re-cementing ourselves as a championship's side finishing 19th last season obviously is is it was a massive kick in the teeth for everyone concerned so so that's my aspirations as i said we've got a virtually a new team this season um players coming back from injury adding some some experience in in matty james and andy king um and some youthful exuberance in rob atkinson who uh, another a number of podcasts have said that he's our player to watch um so that's my thoughts can i hand over to you for yours yeah, I'm with you. Um, I would, um, I'm, I'm hopeful of a, a top 
half finish. Um, but I'm also realistic enough to realise that, you know, I think had the season gone on a couple more games, I think our, our place in the championship was very much under threat. I think the, the points that we scored early um, under Dean Holden and then when Nigel Pearson came in meant that we were never really truly in a relegation dogfight, you know, or battle. But obviously our form, and, and Nigel Pearson's the first to admit that, our, our form was relegation form. Um, as you said, I've listened to a couple of podcasts. Um, I think a lot of the podcasts see us being in and around the, the bottom end of the table. And that's that's understandable. But I also think we, we don't know the Dave Rennie factor and the the, the fitness that these players are now going to have. Um, the injured players coming back and the likes of a Joe Williams, who we, you know, we just haven't seen, um, could have an impact. So, so if I'm being ultra optimistic, I think a, a top half to, to sort of top half finish. Um, realistically, I think we will probably finish around mid table. Um, and, and that for me is progression. It's, I always used to say it under Lee Johnson patch that for me, season on season, as long as you progress, then you can't ask for much more. Sadly, and ho- hopefully it was a bit of a pre-COVID thing, fans just expected you to, to, you know, Bristol City, the money we've spent, the club, the size that it is in terms of the stadium, we should be getting promoted. There's no divine right for that. Um, and I think when we started falling off from, from Lee Johnson, I think mistakes were made, um, sadly, in the appointment of, of, of Dean Holden. But you've also got to say, that COVID had a massive impact to that. And, and so that was perhaps a bit of an unfair reflection on Dean. Um, but, I, you know, I, I hope fans recognise what we've missed and go down with perhaps a, a bit more of a positive attitude. I don't, I don't know how long that will last because fundamentally, mate, and it is, is what you see on the pitch. Mm. Um, and if you're watching your team get beat three or four each week and not have any shots, then that positivity doesn't last very long. So, you know, you, you do want to see on the pitch, but I hope we get behind the team from the get-go. And I'm hoping for some some more entertaining football. Um, yeah, I, you know, and if I get that, if I see more wins than losses, and I see some some decent attacking play, and, and we finish mid table, then then I'll be happy for this season because I think it is a a rebuild for Nigel Pearson, and, and he's going to need two or three seasons to to be able to stamp his authority on on and and have a team playing in the style that he wants. Yeah, totally agree there. Um... Let's just look forward to Saturday now. We let uh, let our hair down, Matt, that we've got plenty of. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll be back on... We're going to record Saturday night uh, on, on this occasion because I don't think we'll be patient enough to wait to the following day, which was originally that's, the plan. That's a blatant lie. It's because it's your anniversary and there's no way you're getting away with it on Sunday. So <laughs> well, That's that out of the bag. Um, happy, yes. Happy anniversary, uh, Patrick Th- Dick. Yeah. Thank you very much. So, yeah. So Saturday night, we'll get that one out and uh, hope you enjoy that and able to tune in. Um, also, uh, shout out to Dave Barton, um, Head of Communications at, at Bristol City. He joined us on our regular show when we walked through his career his time with uh, the RFU and working with the British and Irish Lions. So that was uh, topical um, with the the Lions game, the decider on Saturday evening. So uh, do check that one out as well. We call it uh, typewriter to TikTok because when he started, he was using a typewriter and now using TikTok. So see what, uh, you, see what you've done there. Genius. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I write the headlines. Yes. Uh, so yeah. yeah, join us then and uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode. It was great to speak to, to Mark Kelly and Alex Ball to get that insight. So um, yeah, hope you enjoyed that and we'll be back soon. Take care, everyone. Good work. All the best. Take care, guys.